us and Letitia James now at this okay. point as far oh, as what goes on. Lemblings, that's it. Okay. Oh, Lemblings. Lem- is it scary in here? No, it's cool. Okay. It's have, cool. I'm good. I have on on the line here in the, I mean, the, the remote Backlash Studios uh, currently, folks. I'm in Backlash East. I guess I'll say I'm between Syracuse and Rochester and above uh, uh, Pennsylvania. <laughs> no one knows this part of the world, Daddy, uh, of, of New York, really. Uh I'm joined by the one and only, though, the singular, the amazing, the dear. I'm just so delighted to have you back on the program just to get to talk to you once again. Daddy, Odette, Odette, whichever you prefer. Welcome back to Here Comes the Backlash. Thank you so much for having me. And I am broadcasting from the end of the world. I love this because last time I realized we were kind of like on opposite ends, like literally of the the continent, right? And you're literally on the edge of the world (laughs) out there uh, at the endest point of Long Island, right? Yes, and I can feel your presence in this wonderful state of New York, East Coast, West Coast. I'm hoping that we are able to convert you during your time here. So I will say I had a delightful, I had a revelatory moment actually in Ocean City, Maryland two years ago, which I actually credit as the start of this entire arc of this journey, I guess. It's a whole, whole other side topic. You all do know how to do a beach uh, boardwalk correctly. Like I, I worked at the boardwalk out in California in in Santa Cruz, which is famous, but Mm -hmm. that's Disneyland. It's nothing. It's amazing. Have you ever been to Maine? No, New England confuses me a little. Maine would be what will completely convert you. We have to get you there. It's everything in New York, but even further amplified. It you feel like I mean you basically are in Canada. It's so quiet. The road when you drive north from New York to Maine, it just the road filters out every town you pass is straight out of like a Tim Burton film. You feel like you're in Sleepy Hollow. You get to Maine and there's just no one there. It feels incredible. There's no traffic. The trees are humongous. There's nature everywhere. and Everyone is just calm and kind. And I always tell people like Maine is the ultimate. You go to Maine and you are a convert to the Northeast lifestyle. <laughs> You become automatically wasp, politically, yeah, all, spiritually. You look, mm-hmm, you look down, there are a pair of berries on your feet magically. <laughs> no, but it's truly the best. And even for people who kind of roll their eyes at that, I say, if you are a person who enjoys nature, if you enjoy the coast, if you enjoy starry nights, Maine is just, it's everything. It's so, amp- it's such an amplified version because mm. The vistas are so beautiful. It's there's so much rural area. The people are so kind. It's my favorite place. Besides, it's really, the East End. It's my absolute favorite. <laughs> that, well, you're you're selling it. I don't know if you're sponsored tonight from the Chamber of Commerce, but you know, I do a bone to yeah. pick. Well, actually, first, I will say, I guess I have been to Maine 
in my mind through the works of Stephen King, who MK Ultra uh, is a yes, young child, course. way too young. <laughs> so I guess I've been, uh, I've, you know, I, Tommy Knockers, I'm super into Tommy Knockers again all mm-hmm. of a sudden. Um, but, you know, I have a bone to pick with Maine because of Dr. Meryl Nass and their medical board. I just think what they did to her is absolutely outrageous. It needs to be spoken of any chance they can. Uh, I will not go to Maine until her medical mm-hmm. license is reinstated, but I would love if, if she's listening uh, to attend the reinstatement ceremony when that inevitably happens. Yes, the Kennebunkport Tourism Board did send me an extremely large check ahead of this podcast, knowing that we'd be reaching a wide and fast audience. <laughs> they must be very uncomfortable. I brought up Marilyn Ass then. I'm so sorry to put you in that position, Betty. It must be quite compromising. Um, yeah, so anyway, yeah, this time, Betty, we are ba- basically on opposite ends of the Empire State. Mm-hmm. You're right. I'm in, like, not the main part. It's, in many ways, the, the world time for God, you know, out yes. in some of these stretches. So I'm, I'm in a very lovely, uh, beautiful part, but there is uh and all it's beautiful the countryside but there are some quite depressed um places it's really you know it's kind of almost astonishing for a city slicker uh, i do have yes. family out in this region so i've spent a bit of time mm-hmm. out here but you know um it's do you feel connected as a new yorker uh you know out there in the east to the rest of this like beyond the like whatever cat skills uh, whatever that dividing range is out here you got i mean i would say i do but that's because i spent a lot of time in many different areas of New York State where I have spent time in areas with friends whose families have cabins and some of the um in some of the rural areas that literally have no cell phone service because mm-hmm. there's no cell towers. I've spent time in those areas. I've spent time all around the Hudson Valley. I've been lucky enough to spend time around West Point, which hopefully if anyone is there right now, you're doing okay, because I noticed it's completely flooded. But I mean, I've just been really lucky to spend time traversing the state of New York. So I, besides New York City, which is my mortal enemy, I feel (laughs) spiritually connected to every other (laughs) part of the state of New York, which is perhaps very petty to say, but... Uh, maybe we are like coastal t- spiritual twins because I feel that way about California, which is you know similarly a pretty diverse state. There's a lot of mm-hmm. regions to it, you know, and I'm very mm-hmm. pretty proud. I'm Didion esque, I guess, or Steinbeck esque in that way. I get kind of snobby about you know SF. I, I live there, but I get snobby about. It. I'm a, I'm one of the people allowed to, and you know, in Los Angeles. But there is also these charms, of course, to these demonic mm-hmm. cities that we I, I <laughs> take. You have to take the good with the bad and just find a way to extract that for yourself. <laughs> of course it's like how they say there are no boring like places or situations only boring people i mean pretty much everywhere you go if you're an open-minded and curious person you can always find redeeming or interesting aspects to any place in my personal opinion it's it's so true and a great patron saint Lana Del Rey taught us so much about that <laughs> you know about appreciating the beauty of america thank you thank you queen uh, lana ah daddy okay we have a lot we have a lot to cover. I always like make it like so urgent. This is not like CNN. Like we can take our we can take our time. This is the pool house zone. We should be kind of more relaxed, but uh, we're not because there's a lot of things going on in the world. And that you've been you've been awesome to join me on the program. I guess this is your third appearance, which is awesome. Welcome to the number three club. Um, oh my goodness! It's I think you and Basil right now, Neo Bactery, and suspended. Also, I want to call out suspended. Also, this is not <gasps> oh, okay. No. He's on his all, but these accounts, the suspensions, we'll, we'll get to it, but there's a lot. Yeah, of- I can't even, 
I feel horrible to say I can't even keep track anymore because it's just every day. And like, not that I don't want to keep up with people, but there's so many now that it's just, I just kind of like salute the fallen soldiers, but I don't know. It's really hard to keep up with people. And then I'll find out weeks later that they're, they're gone or I'll think, Oh, I haven't heard from them in a while. And then I realize, Oh no, they've been nuked. They're gone. Exactly. And sometimes are they gone or did they just, you know, vanish in the algorithm? That's happening. Also, it's all very, very targeted. I'm very curious hmm? about that because I don't know. I pretty much haven't really ever paid attention to engagement, which it's easy to say because I've never really done anything or made any money from Twitter. Perhaps I'd be more invested if I had, but Lately, there is a thing where either something doesn't really get any engagement or something gets Mm -hmm. like a ton of engagement out of nowhere. So maybe they're, I don't know. I'm never sure because I feel like people, it's easy to say, oh, it's the algorithm targeting me or, oh, people, you know, aren't paying attention for X, Y, Z reasons. But lately I've noticed a more extreme uh, it's odd though. It's like an extreme swing where either something really doesn't go anywhere or all of a sudden we'll get a bunch of engagement, which I wouldn't normally notice. So I'm not really sure what's going on. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel bad for people who have tr- actual investment because it would be very, uh, I guess, concerning and it would be hard to ever plan anything because you have no ability to predict what will occur. But that's just from my personal detached zero percent um invested opinion but it's very confusing it's confusing to me too i've experienced what you're describing like at my scale you know but i'm and it does sound crazy to be like my program is targeted i'm building a nice little audience for myself i'm very proud of it but i do notice interesting things when i'm trying to promote this program of mine where the tweets sometimes don't really the engagement uh, view count that they put in is quite interesting I, I don't know how reliable it is or how it's calculated but it appears that sometimes first of all any substack link by but even oh, external no. links i see like 50 views sometimes on these tweets and it's like oh this mm-hmm. was clearly like nuked you know and i've noticed and i'm not the only one to say this i think a lot of people mm-hmm. are feeling uh if they're not within a certain narrative lane there's mm-hmm. a few options it's not like just one but there's there's some other ones you can go into but i think those people who are actually just trying to say what they really think you know and speak uh, some kind of truth are i really do think it's being systematically targeted and it's not crazy because it's not hard to do these these are very sophisticated systems it, it is not hard to uh flag some people through trust and safety and write a script to like you know limit their impact and the the new um i guess it's called officially community notes i've started Mm. noticing them appear on some tweets and they're very it's very unusual and interesting sometimes the community notes that appear they appear far later or if someone I sound so conceited. If someone retweets something a long time after I wrote it, or I notice something is getting some engagement, sometimes I'll just see, like, I'll look at the thread of it just to get an idea of what people are reacting to. Mm-hmm. And then I'll see there's a community note, but sometimes the community note is not actually relevant to the exact text of what I've said. It's relevant to mm-hmm. an accessory part, which I've always wondered. I'm like, is there any attempt at, recourse or correction or pointing out like hey I actually didn't say that or they're inferring that I'm 
referring uh-huh. to something I didn't explicitly state. It's very interesting. And I would assume people who maybe take things seriously or have vested business interests, which isn't, you know, that's normal. It would be very confusing. It's very odd. There seems to be very little rhyme or reason. But then something I think, oh, maybe somebody's going to have, someone might have a problem or might express consternation. There's nothing. So it's very, it's very odd. It feels scattershot in terms of what is targeted and what isn't. From my completely tiny, very, very, very small sample set of myself. You have a fairly sizable uh, following, I'd say. And I think your congratulations on getting community noted. That's awesome. That's actually an achievement. I didn't know that this happened to you. Wait, do you have an example of what uh, your community, or do you remember any of your notes? There you was know. one I recently saw. I'm trying to remember because it was almost, I no, don't no, remember. Don't remember. I have it. it was just something very odd where it was technically the community note was not directly what I was referring sure. to. Something else. So I was like, well, that's slightly odd because... I was just confused why that had happened. And I was confused who felt the need to go back to that a good amount of time after it had already circulated. Mm-hmm. Somewhat how it was probably getting engagement. It sounds like that's the kind of trickery they do with fact checks, right? And all this trick- linguistic fuckery that they do. So it's not surprising that it was an irrelevant uh, community note slapped on there just to create the appearance of a correction, right? Just to oh. give you a demerit. And could I say something? Because yeah. I never plug something, but this this isn't even about it. if anyone is interested, because this article was so illuminating for me. I put it as my pin tweet where I go through and dissect every segment of this article. But there is an article on quote unquote, and I'm sure you love this phrase, controlled spontaneity. And it was written by the Middle East Eye after receiving documents concerning what the government of the United Kingdom does to not just shape public perception, but influence and not just influence, but in a very dystopian form to um, to presuppose what reaction will be in order to plant information to direct what the direction of public uh-huh. reaction and perception will be. And I, I pinned it to my page and it's not about engaging with what I said, but I want everyone to go read this article. And if you would like, I've kind of tried to include a kind of very basic, you know, AP English lit analysis in a pretty long thread, but it's so fascinating to me. And it was a very, I mean, not a small, a, a more than small part of me just felt that little bit of vindication because mm-hmm. they're openly stating things that you feel you perceive and you're constantly told you're not, you're imagining it. And to see it so openly and clearly expressed, just it made me feel significantly more sane, which I think a lot of people could probably benefit from to know you're truly not imagining things. They are happening. So no, you don't have to read my thread, but if you want to go to the Middle East Eye and read the article on quote unquote controlled spontaneity, mm-hmm. I would highly recommend it to everyone because it goes through an in incredible detail. And there are so many events from the past decade you will recognize and there are so many not just events but 
specific phrases and specific techniques, which I feel like many of us have encountered. And I, I just thoroughly enjoyed it as an article. And I think it will help people in their future media literacy because it gives you the tools to identify and know how forces are looking to shape not even your perception, but your very thoughts and future actions. Mm, mm. We will link. I have it pulled up here. Daddy, I've got your post. I've got the article. All of this work around like nudge units, trust and safety, mm-hmm. all of this it's, uh, social engineering operations. It is crazy. And I, I'm starting to believe it's been going on for a, a long time. And that a lot of the two choices or the whatever choices have been offered have really been driven by by something else but this is like a manifestation of the science this is like this Mm -hmm. uh, idea of correction of uh control freak behavior trying Mm -hmm. to just absolutely uh overcorrect for any kind of uh, inadequacy that's perceived in in mankind and and it's (laughs) you're right this is great it is affirming there is so much going on in these operations currently it is wild and what you were saying about um certain provocations right if people start to out of mm-hmm. nowhere start coming at you you're on to something you may not be completely correct but you are now hovering over something that is a um it's organic too first of all there's an organic reaction from this cog- what we call cognitive dissonance that i'm starting to realize is really this pervasive state that many people are functioning in and i think is weaponized so i think a lot of people are in this really uh really a state of almost trauma basically a, a complete mm. like malleability and they're they're up to the layers of i'm talking like cdc directors walensky like people many powerful people are maybe even in this kind of strange state uh i, I don't know i don't want to extrapolate too much but when you start to get the reaction and i'll tell you there's things like ddt weirdly ddt when i mentioned that mm. bots but also real people freak out and kind of try to come at me and say all manner of things. Um, I famously have challenged the notion of uh, born this way, that maybe gay identities, you know, TM, mm-hmm. are not a wholly organic thing that was born out of genetics uh, alone. And I didn't even say, I didn't even say it was like one way or the other. I just said it's possible. And people lost their minds. And, and it's happened, you know, at scale, uh, to other accounts. It's a popular one. Obviously, vaccines and autism, famous one. These uh, things that really don't just provoke like, um, disagreement or dissent, but really like a fierce emotional reaction based off of no facts or reason often. And the more facts and reason you have, you know, the more angry and insane they get. <laughs> I'm sure you've and, experienced this, Teddy. And you'll notice, in, I mean, in the social sciences, one of the first things that's drilled into you is nature versus nurture and how nature and nurture tend to be an often sometimes even symbiotic relationship or a feedback mm-hmm. relationship. And that's not considered controversial at all. But then when that starts touching on what are considered quote unquote hot button topics, all of a sudden to suggest that there are elements of nature and nurture in human behaviors, people absolutely lose their minds. Mm. And it's almost illiberal in a way, which is always something I've noticed the past few years. The people who claim that you're, you know, going against the entire enlightenment or you're being a liberal are themselves practicing incredibly liberal practices and rhetoric. 
<laughs> like North Korean programming Morning Joe, where they talk about every single day, like all these people who are like destroying democracy while they act like literally the most insane fascist propaganda outlet in the world. There's like this inversion of everything, right? That's uh, been uh, commented on a lot. And it's people, uh, there's a range of theories, I guess. There's something to dark sighted about it to make everything just the exact opposite of what it is. Some will describe it as Luciferian. I, I will say this, it's exactly from Orwell. He he nailed it. So he was hinting at something else, I think, as well, as to just uh, to an extent with double speak. It's so pervasive and it's like wilder, funnier, but wilder than anything that's been ever, I think, imagined by any of the, the great uh, dystopian authors. That's the thing is I noticed this past few years is, of course, it becomes a kind of... I guess, a put down or derogatory statement to roll your eyes and say, oh, 1984. Oh, everything is 1984. And what I've thought is, you know, 1984 looks like Chaucer in comparison to some of the techniques being currently used. You know, uh, what's uh, Aldous Huxley, Brave New World, mm-hmm. George Orwell, I'm like, these were sophisticated compared to what's happening now. And that's why they're not relevant. It's not because they're not relevant because it's too on the nose. It's because... They, they're far more subtle and sophisticated than anything happening now. Or it's just a hammer on the head. It's quite ridiculous, in my opinion. It is. It's funny because it's like, well, they had to write for the audience of, of the time, but they're so dumbed down now as a society. They can get away with it. I remember when like the left, even conspiracy left, DSA type people started quote unquote canceling George Orwell, um, mm. saying he was not like a real leftist. And like, I thought that was a red flag. I was like, mm, really? I think the theory and practice of oligarchical collectivism, the kind of book within the book of 1984 is, mm-hmm. I think, extremely instructive. I encourage people to go back, read that one. People forget a lot of things about 1984 because it's all focused on the Apple commercial aspects of it, right? But there's a lot more to it. And I think that piece in particular is uh, instructive. And you know, I'll say real quick, because this did jog my memory. What has lately been happening is old threads that I had because this is now back on the news because of certain recent articles and recent comments by larger international bodies are threads I did a long time ago on aspartame and potassium mm. bromate are now, those are what are getting community it's all notes all of a sudden because mm. it's coming back up. And there were even aspects where I had simply stated what the original FDA, um, what the original scientists and doctors before they were fired had said, and then they got community noted. And that yeah. that's what really late the past few days, I've had other ones, but those were the ones that passed very recently because now some other international bodies have come out. And the European Union, which very openly always said, you know, what the Americans put in their food is absolutely unbelievable. And so threads that are a couple years old and people have put community notes saying, well, aspartame. And even though I had pointed out several concerns about aspartame, not just that it's a carcinogen, is a community note will say, um, like this is misleading because aspartame is only considered a carcinogen in this certain class, which includes that da, 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 like other things to point out, to make it seem like, oh, well, it's very harmless. Even if I've said, you know, 
the basic founder of some of these early fields in toxicity have themselves at the time said this is dangerous, even if I pointed out there, there are other psychological elements, there are other physical reactions, but they, they'll zoom on on one specific thing, even though I hadn't even said directly it's the carcinogen and been like, well, that's been proven to be considered a low-level carcinogen, which in this place is considered <laughs> on par with XYZ. So therefore, this is misleading. And that that was one of the things that really surprised me that out of nowhere, this was all of a sudden having notes that people, I'm supposing it's because people were looking at it again. And it was just very fascinating to see how that works and to see what's in a way kind of cherry picked in terms it's, of- It's it's the words again, it's linguistic warfare again. First of all, you're pointing out that they have a poison in food and people are like, well, it's not really a poison because the poison is defined X, Y, Z. And it's all just fuckery in that regard. And I think it's interesting. So it's like aspartame. What was the other uh, chemical you were, you were describing? Oh. Potassium bromate, which is oh, in many mm-hmm. of our bread products, essentially. Is that the yoga mat stuff that's in Subway that makes it really fluffy? So potassium bromate is in many industrial products. Oh, the other thing that got, now this is jogging my memory. The other thing that also got noted, uh, so um, tweets I made about seed oils, um, about vegetable oil in particular, uh-huh. those are starting to get great noted, or I guess it's community noted. Yeah, yeah. But, um, <laughs> even just a video of one thing I found, which was interesting, which I agree it's true because every word you say now is so loaded. And there was a video from a very popular show called How It's Made that covered mm. how like canola oil is produced <laughs> and all I did was put just the video with no commentary no anything I just the video which showed the journey of this seed oil and its journey across multiple industrial processes in which multiple industrial byproducts were made and finally culminated in bottled vegetable oil that sold to consumers as food product and that was one of the significantly controversial and I didn't even say a word I just put the video and it was so fascinating because it speaks volumes in itself and a few people saw that and they said wow like this it's perfect it's scary and I was like it's scary how perfect it is it's like a pitch it it would almost seem like a video that someone made in order to denigrate seed oils (laughs) but it was just the, and it has the upbeat music of how it's made, like dun, 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 dun. and it's seed oils. Just, mm-hmm. It used to but be a rapeseed. So <laughs> it that, used to be yeah. a rapeseed, but now it's canola because rapeseed sounds really bad. It's those videos. I'll send it to you unless it's done. Oh You're gonna gosh. crack up, but it's it's the food product slightly, and I suppose because there is serious attention now, but. Those were several different topics that all have had various forms of notes that have been applied because I'm spreading dangerous information about 
industrial byproducts being sold as consumer uh, edible is, products. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that it's these, that I've, I have had that experience, not the community notes, but just like the very obvious clampdown, not just the emotional uh, anons or whatever, people freaking out about something they said, but really like a, clearly people just coming in from out of nowhere to, to shut it down. Um, DDT, I know, and literally mm-hmm. what I said was that the Office of Malaria Prevention or, or whatever was the actual original name of the CDC. They got their start spraying mostly poor neighborhoods with yeah, DDT for mosquito repellent uh, malaria prevention. Keep that in mind when they start talking about malaria again. It's, it's literally how the CDC got their start. And that's, so I'll tell you this also, the DDT article in Wikipedia, that whole section on the or- origins of CDC, those uh, Wikipedia entries have morphed quite a bit over the last couple mm. of years. But it's interesting because I think there's this biochemical thread that kind of goes through all the ones that kind of, I, I can connect to this because Obviously, the the vaccine stuff, even mentioning anything with the vaccine, honestly, or the lab origin, which I don't think at this point should be remotely controversial to entertain. Anyone who is uh, paying attention to that, it's very difficult to to wrap your head around what actually is even going on in that saga. So to me, uh, those those are like big banner, right? Uh, Reaction, freak out things that get clamped down on. You're mentioning aspartame, uh, but obviously the seed oils. Um, then even like things like the gay questions I'm talking about or the, or the trans kind of like gender ideology where does that increase come from autism where does that increase come from these are all interestingly interrelated to a biochemical poisoning uh, warfare program I guess in my opinion um, and I don't think they're all that disparate to be honest I think there's a, a connection and it's interesting that those are also seemingly tightly enforced and you said earlier Daddy, that it's like seems random sometimes like what's going on it does it feels really random but then it's like it's like a kaleidoscope kind of too you know right you have to like catch it in the right way and you start to be like hmm i wonder if there is uh maybe things that do connect to these these sagas you know we don't know the algorithm we can't see it Uh, you know what trust and safety is uh not to be trusted and probably quite dangerous and what i've always found interesting too is well i I hope people were from maybe a little familiar with my account. No, I tend to, I try to go for a more of a moderate approach in a lot of things. And I've never mm-hmm. said like, well, because there are people selling things. I feel that often the very extremes, it's because somebody's selling something, which I mean, I understand and that's how sales work. But I mean, I've said myself, like I've, <laughs> I don't, have an outright ban on seed oils. I I occasionally cook with vegetable oil, but I try to avoid it as much as I can. And I always tell people, you know, at the end of the day, you can you should do what you can do. But obviously, anytime you work yourself into a total state or fret, that's also unhealthy. And I've always said mm-hmm. constant stress and anxiety is one of the most dangerous things for humans, which is also why I'm there are many elements of culture and media that I'm very much against because for those same reasons, Mm -hmm. constant stress and anxiety are not good for human beings or animals or any living thing. And I mean, if I have a brownie recipe and I'm tired and I don't want to cook brownies from scratch and I have a box of brownie mix, yeah, I'm going to use vegetable oil. Mm -hmm. But when I'm cooking, I'm always trying. If I can choose... I'm always trying to cook with olive oil. I'm trying to cook with butter. I try to cook with whole animal fats. And I've never told anyone, like, throw out every bit of vegetable oil in the world. But 
I think having more information and honest information is always a good thing for people. And until we know we can have honest conversations in society, you're not going to ever build a high trust or stable society because we're at the point where very rightly so many people don't trust information. They don't trust media and they no longer trust what are considered institutions and regulatory bodies, which isn't healthy. And I don't want to spread chaos and discord. I would love if I could spread positive, happy messages that you can easily trust and be confident in the information you're given. But we've been clearly shown that we can't. And until that's changed significantly, I think allowing people to have real information and having access to truth and having access to multiple points is always going to be more important than this blind devotion to the idea that you're hurting people by giving them counter narrative information. <laughs> First of all, I want to say that you really are exemplary in your posting in that way that you are very, I, I think, careful, I guess. Maybe not careful is not even fair, but it's like it, there is intentional. The, the word I keep coming back to is conscious or consciousness, really. And it's funny because I you said you don't want to cause chaos and discord. And admittedly, maybe I do sometimes have an itch that I need to scratch to cause a little mayhem. But I don't think that's wrong either because I think, I don't know, I'm kind of like a misinformation artist artists now a little bit i I think there's some effect in uh, or value in laundering the truth through a little bit of fiction you know i don't know if that makes sense but i kind of feel like i i rap sometimes i'll do things you know that's a bit maybe sometimes i'll be a little satirical but i'm also providing information because i also think uh, providing just straight information sometimes can get you in trouble you know if you're just giving straight facts and i think you kind of play that in a way too where you kind of um almost like poetry but i don't know, I don't know like i uh, what's it called like italics posting almost in this weird way you kind of um put cool pictures up i don't know you, you create a vibe and an aesthetic beyond just you know the, the stories right yeah I mean I try to always just say what I'm truly and honestly thinking at the time bingo which I hope is conveyed bingo I always say this now pure and true it's about being pure and true and I think that is the same thing it's like even if I'm being a little bit mischievous maybe and saying I don't know like eight people were, were born the birth defect or I don't know some of the other maybe controversial things I've said I, I said men shouldn't be allowed with children alone as you know, as little as possible that made people really really angry i said it was for their children's protection some of these things uh, i i don't necessarily mean a hundred percent maybe i'm trying to float the idea just to see uh so maybe i need the spirit underlying of it but i'm being a little bit shitposty right i mean a little bit maybe taking it to a, an extreme um but it's also i feel like it gives me the protection to be able to post real data and i think when i do post real things they're sourceable right i, I post links and i post information in a way that is uh like verifiable so it feels to me it's like it's a line kind of that i have to skirt kind of too which is how to how to survive as like you know a shit poster on twitter but also launder real serious truth that people that i'm telling you this biodefense stuff i cannot there are so many accounts i've been trying to share like channels that have such important information that i cannot get out to people who i know want it unless i send it to them directly and even then sometimes the links are throttled so it's like to the point of uh, that extreme you know absolutely and also I mean people go through I don't want to say phases but 
I would say I've absolutely spoken about things in the past that maybe I would approach differently or speak about differently now, but that's also just individual preferences or as you process information in a new way yourself and find a Mm -hmm. new way to communicate with people. Totally. I realized what happens to me is what I was being triggered by in certain situations was actually this cognitive dissonance, like quote unquote, this kind of like vapid force of reaction based off of like really nothing. And that Mm -hmm. it it was triggering to me when people come at you, if people disagree with me, I'm not really combative necessarily. I I, very diplomatic usually, but like Mm -hmm. when people start to come in a way that seems like overly hostile or even just Mm -hmm. um, freaking over it, like where it's just really nothing. And sometimes it'll be even to the point where it's like, if I do try to talk out with them, they are basically agreeing with me. And I'm like, what are you, you just can't say it. Let's say you just can't say born this way. It's a lie. You just can't say those words, but you can basically agree with me (laughs) through a whole series of evidence and this long, exhausting back and forth. I wish I hadn't had. So I have gotten smarter there, right? But but it does help me a little bit to see. Sometimes I will push buttons because I'm like, oh, this is interesting. This is causing a provocation. For what? For what reason does this? Is this organic? Is this? Are these real people? Are these operatives? Is it a mixture of both? It's really interesting. You know, if Facebook's gonna and such are gonna experiment on us, we can experiment back on them. And I also think this might sound crazy, but Twitter is pretty much my one social media source in both Mm -hmm. my private and quote-unquote daddy life so I definitely interact with it differently because it really is kind of my one spot my one outlet I think that's true I know it's not the same for everyone but personally I found that it's it's starting to very slowly bleed into my personal life which is definitely odd but perhaps inevitable um, uh, they chose us we didn't choose them uh, Odette came for you Fool House came for me like we didn't we didn't choose this hustle but we were called and you know many are called but few are chosen so you just gotta march <laughs> march on i don't even know what i'm talking about daddy <laughs> maybe yeah let's talk a little bit about the 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 daddy journey um the daddy journey okay daddy you came in the program i call it that don't daddy doesn't call it that i feel like i'm on oprah oh this now now it is like oprah i make dreams come true the remote viewers out in the audience they know that send me your wish i will grant it it's it's possible you get your wishes and daddy you get your journey as long as you're like that one guy that um she had to like come back Uh, what was his name he got his remember that when he, he like faked addiction or something a million he, little pieces yeah, a million little pieces i can't I remember said, his name but i remember his book's name i almost said things fall apart it's like chinua chevy or something i don't know you're right a million little pieces he lied about his life you know actually i i do condone it. i always thought it was kind of like just dumb that he didn't just I mean, people do that now they just call it auto fiction he should have just like said that's what yeah. he was doing i mean what's a more quintessential addict behavior than creating a 
And everybody does it. <laughs> They're creating an elaborate lie and false reality. I think you should have just said, hey, that's exactly who I said I was. Lean in. You should have leaned in. Exactly. mistake he made. He did, yeah, exactly. He blew up his own myth. It's too bad. He worked all yeah. so hard on it too. And I'm I'm not trying to downplay addiction. I'm just happy dark humor because I had to deal with so much of it in my real life. So just for everyone, I, well, I promise it's real. Please see. Oh no, of course, it, no, of course, no, of course. No, I have I dealt with so much that I'm at the dark humor acceptance level of processing various people and addiction stories. Oh, no, yeah, I think it was perfectly it was, on the nose. Uh, at this point, I'm like, it's the quintessential addict behavior. I don't even, at this point, I'm like, I sort of, that's maybe we shouldn't have canceled him for that. I do agree. And also, yeah, he was still an addict. I'm pretty sure too, right? He just yeah. exaggerates certain aspects. Jewel, right. the singer Jewel said she lived in a van. That wasn't true. And we didn't take back her Grammys, yeah. you know? Like, I don't know. I, I think we should, honestly, take back her Grammys. Um, but my point being, Teddy, you are not, you're not really like a self-promoter in, in many ways. And I feel that vibe. I was once like you and I had to switch to a, a hustle entrepreneurial mode in a sense and i just leaned into it so it's i advocate for it plug that thread whatever like do it without uh shame donald trump taught me that in fact personally <laughs> um the daddy journey let's talk about it daddy you've been in the program you have outlined just a little bit of kind of like your framework of how you approach um you and i guess others kind of approach the world uh, through that <laughs> financial monetary lens of history mm -hmm. of, of empire of cycles mm -hmm. uh you introduced me to ray dalio who a really interesting <gasps> oh uh financial whiz he's a very fascinating very reasonable man i have to say i, I get why you like mm -hmm. him and then also mm -hmm. it's kind of skirting the very edge of acceptability within mainstream mm -hmm. circles like just i was surprised to see uh the mainstream outlets he was on although he got he doesn't mm -hmm. go too deep but there's a lot of things i think you can also maybe read between the lines in what he's saying and he's essentially proclaiming the end of an age i guess there's mm. a, a clear cycle you outlined it let's see if i can restate it as a good student you outlined this kind of cycle of history of empires based mm -hmm. on a really beginning back into an ancient river system civilization this kind of framework or model of a like a mercantilist uh military-based financial system and, and whoever mm -hmm. runs that system essentially runs uh runs the world for mm -hmm. a designated period and within this kind of modern history of portugal we have the rise of this first kind of like empire within this frame Framework, this modern framework, they introduce this idea kind of maybe of empire or colonialism in this new sense. And then there's a successive series of, of civilizations that kind of rule the world for essentially 100 year periods, or give or take. Mm -hmm. uh, and whoever does that has the dominant dollar of the world or, or currency. They own the fleets that protect the merchants and the, and the transactions mm -hmm. and the cargo and that is essentially the basis of all of the geopolitics of that age and they are the nexus of it whoever runs this this system uh we even in this country we've been so blessed to have like benefited not as great as generation x maybe in our boomer generation but we have benefited from this system nonetheless in many ways and yet we are maybe faced with the precipice of leaders quite aware maybe even of this uh historical reality and almost seemingly marching us off the cliff of it as fast as they can in my view right? but um that is kind of like the the arc and there was a lot more to it of course but that would be my distilled vision the, the pool house pill of the daddy journey it, it, does that feel accurate? 
Okay, absolutely. And I'm so happy you got into Ray Dalio because I think for anyone of any persuasion or interest, he's a very fascinating, smart person to read his thoughts and what he has to say. And he's a lot of experience in the real world, which I think is very critical. I would say everything you covered is very, very accurate. And then the other side of the coin, which I try to always emphasize is along with holding the global reserve currency and the global reserve currency paired with what is the strongest or most dominant military and naval fleet is energy because mm. everything is downstream of energy. You can't have a currency, you can't have a military, you can't have industry without energy. Whether that comes from transforming resources of the earth whether that comes from people power, whether that comes from quote unquote green resources, which are still usually an amalgamation of people power and earth resources, you absolutely have to have energy and control over energy sources because it's almost alchemical, but energy mm. is what creates commerce and commerce is what creates wealth. It is alchemical. I mean, it's really, it's, it's hard. It's something I grasp. I try to grasp more and more. I feel like it sinks in as I, as I try to reflect on it more, but the idea that everything's downstream of energy from currency to labor, uh, all social relations, you can understand that intellectually and say, yeah, I, I get that. Or I, I know that's true. But when you really start to understand the relationships of the of these systems or this grander system really but of how the world works how it's running financially mm-hmm. uh, and not, I would say also not just on the financial sector but on the, the legal framework upon which it is mm-hmm. intertwined with is really important which is again much of words I want to point out and I guess also the uh, extracurricular activities that that dominant maybe fleet gets up to in their uh, pursuit of empire there's a there's a whole series maybe of, of genres of, of that as well the question I wanted to lead towards it's like Dalio kind of does study that we're nearing the edge and I said I was like it seems like I mean people couldn't be trying harder to move it forward to, from the from the city level up I mean I see it in my city San Francisco where I can't believe it's incompetence anymore it's hard to believe that it could be any more mismanaged in, in every way it's tragic I see it at the state level at the, the federal level I see it in the financial sector from the business leaders I see it in entertainment just crazy decisions like people leading us off a cliff I, I, people say controlled demolition and I, I don't know if that's mm-hmm. the right word, but like definitely mm-hmm. almost like not just ineptitude, but a reckless, intentional <laughs> drive is, does that comport with your uh, vision? Uh, does it diverge? What, what's your take in that regard? Absolutely. So we are in an age of money printing and there are a lot of people who will get very cross with you when you start speaking about money printing And they'll say processes like quantitative easing aren't technically money printing, that what Bank of Japan does isn't technically this, what the European Central Bank does isn't technically this. But we are in the age of money printing. And you know that because you can simply look outside your window and see all of the downstream consequences of that. There are a lot of political processes that are presented as ideological or representative of a certain party or belief system that are simply byproducts of money printing. 
everything that has occurred the past few years, it's because the United States has injected trillions and trillions of dollars into its economy and the world economy. Um, every time in history, a nation state or empire has embarked on money printing, they have insisted it wasn't money printing and there have always been the inevitable consequences. It's a very deceptive practice because for a time it can be sustained and it does create great wealth for certain substrates of the population for a time. And because of this, there becomes a societal complicity where no one wants to really say anything because everyone is in their group is doing quite well and making money. And there is belief that they can almost will into being that everything will be okay. There are many people, for example, scholars, Ray Dalio and others, people like myself who've said, well, eventually what happens is reality hits and then you're at a brick wall. And unfortunately what happens is those who ask others to exercise caution or prudence because they do care and want things to have a happier ending than what has been shown to occur in historical cycles are considered to be saboteurs or people who want bad things to happen. And then it creates this very unhealthy and dangerous echo chamber and a kind of groupthink where Anyone who expresses any kind of concern or desire to form a different policy is labeled as someone who is dangerous or has conspiratorial thinking or who themselves is the one wishing harm upon their society or country or economic system when in fact on a long enough time scale it has often been shown that those people were the ones who were trying to guide things to a more sustainable solution and calmer waters. And one of the most insidious things, in my opinion, that has happened recently is this pursuit of infinite money printing in hyper-financialized economies. Hyper-financialized economies is just the term we use for countries such as in the United States and Europe where they have moved from production of tangible and material goods, um, the, as we mentioned before, alchemical process of taking resources from the earth and using human labor to turn them into a, a good or product that can be sold for a profit to another, to hyper-financialized societies where the main export are various forms of financial products and repackagings of debt and now we have the era of al trading algorithms, where you have these high frequency trading algorithms written in iBlake. You could determine a you could determine the economic future of another country. You could create a catastrophe, you could create a famine, all under the guise of a computer program. These are not sustainable, and I think most people intrinsically know they're not sustainable, and this goes against not just human nature, but the laws of nature itself and the laws of thermodynamics. But we've created a situation where any suggestion that 
perhaps the best thing that could be done for not just humans and the human soul and earth and mother nature herself is to start to wind down these hyper-financialized economies which require vast amounts of products and vast amounts of energy to maintain and require this infinite upwards wealth which by nature would require infinite amounts of energy and infinite amount of inputs which are tend to be resources from the earth that perhaps there is another option those are considered people who want to burn the earth down who are quote-unquote denialists of climate change who are denialists of the need for green transformation and unfortunately there becomes a point where once you understand what's going on you are then going to be the enemy so for example earlier today pointed out that jamie diamond himself ceo of jp morgan has recently written an article which didn't come out of nowhere because many different international groups and organizations have discussed this idea for example the atlantic council Jamie Diamond said, the time to act is now. We must start using eminent domain to acquire private property of people, which has been determined by who, no one knows who, by quote unquote, the the wise uh, runners of the economy that is Mm. essential to our green transition and outright stating that we must in the name of quote-unquote green, we must start using the very already shaky legal doctrine of eminent domain to take people's private property to acquire houses. Um, This is something that has already essentially been begun. There's currently an eminent domain case where they're trying to take farmland for carbon capture pipelines. And the most insidious part of all is none of these technologies are actually anything that is scientifically proven. They are extremely dubious. They often fail. There have already been multiple um, carbon capture credit forests, which have burned to the ground. The carbon capture pipelines, where the idea is we could quote unquote, capture carbon from the atmosphere and store it underground, which essentially means we could create a lot of bombs and place them all over the landscape and theoretically infinitely hold the carbon that is created. And, you know, a person understands that this is not a logical proposition, that perhaps it would be the initial, if you truly believed all this, it would be the initial creation of the carbon that would be the problem. But we're in this setting now where through both the rise of these supranational organizations, where through the rise in the United States, specifically of Citizens United and other rulings, which have allowed the entire political class to be openly bought and paid for, that the interests of the public are no longer being met. The public is supposed to serve corporations and these larger governmental bodies and there is no longer a democracy that exists. The question is not what can be done to serve the people. The question is what can be done to serve the current power structure and preserve it. And I think it's tragedy and any environmentalist should be bereft of the idea that um, we have a limited imagination where our only concept of conservation is 
preserving the current world order. Societal uh, complicity you talked about. That was a, a way, mm-hmm. similar to what I was kind of talking about, I think in a way too, with the, the, the mm-hmm. idea of cognitive dissonance. It, it's like, mm-hmm. it, it, I think cognitive dissonance is too simple of a term or it's just too clinical maybe. It's it's a zombified state. It's, it's an induced state from information, which, which is what's really weird. There's maybe other factors, uh, chemical factors, maybe not hypnosis, you know, like literally like light and sound techniques. But at the end of the day, it is like this just much more complicated uh, state. And it's driven by information. Whiplash, when you look at history over, well, you zoom out of history over a wider period of time, for example, with like this concept of wokeness or political correctness. I, I lived it like in the 90s. We went through a very politically correct uh, era. We had a kind of a, a quote-unquote backlash against that in the Bush years. Then we had this kind of double down onto wokeness. And you can start to feel the pendulum starting to swing again in the other direction. And it's this kind of constant. And it happens on like these broader levels. It happens on these smaller levels. This is a, a ping-pong effect. You're kind of constantly being back and forth and, and whiplash between these different endpoints constantly. Sometimes too Two, sometimes three, and it becomes uh, dizzying. I think it really just put people into a strange, deeply <laughs> hypnotic state. I think we're all, I'm, I'm guilty, we're all kind of uh, hypnotized. We, to a degree, we want to be, right? We want to participate in a society. We want to have some shared uh, dream or shared hypnosis or understanding of reality. But this is a little bit different, I think, than that. And so I think that the touches on so much of the, the, the stuff that we were talking about before, which is these strange reactions, like people are just, um, in a state where they're receiving what to feel and think more than they are actually performing those acts. So that allows things like what you're describing. This That article you talked about, I, re- I did retweet that. I saw that it was a terrifying article uh, about the <laughs> recommendation that we just, whatever we have to do, we better just start taking people's homes to, you know, make way for this like green revolution that it has been completely conned. Everyone's so conned into thinking this green revolution is somehow pro-ecology. It is not. I think most people agree that we should be good to the environment. Like I, I agree with that. I think we should not pollute. I think we should not uh, exploit to the uh, uh, reasonable degree the resource of the earth. Do your best, right? But the green movement is not based on that. The green movement is <laughs> the, the joke is true. The carbon they're looking to reduce is you, and and none of their solutions make sense. You, you've already seen it. I think you've shared in this the dark secret of wind, uh, wind energy, and then those those turbines and some of the uh-huh. pollutant effects of them. Uh, just just dumb changes to electrical. The the smart meters. A lot of things that are just are not actually what they say they are. And that's just the surface. It all really does end up serving the same companies. There's nothing in the Green New Deal that says hey, companies fundamentally have to change the way they do business. It's a bunch of justifications to keep them doing that business at the end of the day and maybe paying for it a little bit more while the rest of us become controlled. And I don't know, I, another issue that I'll wrap with this that I get is um, population control. When you talk about population control, people get really weird and people... Mm. I feel like no, should know better. We'll come back and be like blah blah. blah. And I, I, 
first of all, I think it's a mistake to say it's simply depopulation. I think there's obviously, to me, a, a depopulation agenda to a degree. But it's not about like eradicating everybody all at once. It's about a, a massaging and a kind of a transmogrification mm. of people over time. Uh, mm-hmm. And that is to me like what is happening. It's why, you know, we talked in 1984, why it had to be so much more better written in 1948, or, I believe it was, rather than it was being performed for us. Now, even V for Vendetta, like looking back, not even that far. I don't think people remember that movie very well because that movie what we have now is worse than what was depicted uh, in that film. And so it's just this very interesting kind of uh, prolonged hypnosis in this deeper state of uh, like a theta state, almost like a, a hypnagogic state. It's almost half awake, half asleep. And I just am concerned for that. But I also do think there is Awakenings. Uh, I think all hope is not lost, and we are so back in in many ways. Oh, absolutely. And I want to be careful because I don't want to... There are people who can conceive of Satan among various different religious beliefs and among various different non-religious belief systems. So I think it's actually, it can be a very inclusive message. But for example, in the Christian faith, there is often speak of Satan as the great deceiver and an entity which isn't going to just simply outright state their purposes, but is going to use um, deception, is going to use guilt, is going to use fear, is going to use your own previous dark thoughts against you and I think that that translates across many different belief and faith systems and I think it's a very useful tool to use to look at all different forms of media messaging we're given today and maybe it might sound a little sillier out there to people but I encourage them to go into that mindset of what is this person or entity trying to tell me with this news article or this news program, are they trying to access my feelings of unworthiness? Are they trying to access feelings of fear, of despair, of hopelessness? Because that's a very powerful indicator. And I think that the ability to detect that is in all people, but so much of the modern world is programming people to not trust their own instincts, which are placed there for a reason. Mm -hmm. And whether you believe that is in service of a higher power, or if you simply believe it is a product of evolution, if you believe it is simply a manifestation of the current state of all material things, it's there for a reason. And it very much concerns me that we're constantly trying to tell people to turn off an innate voice they have within them because that Mm. is meant to protect the individual that is meant to help them see the world more clearly and to see what is absolute truth and this constant state of teaching people that you shouldn't trust that inner voice that everything is relative that you can't even trust your own thoughts I would ask people to think who does that ultimately serve if you don't even trust your own inner voice it's incredible you're totally right that everywhere we see being told that we're we're being told not to 
believe our own eyes and ears, right? Don't trust mm-hmm. the inner voice. And, and even and then the biological kind of level of the destruction of our natural immunity through all kinds of immunity reducing mechanisms <laughs> in food, in vaccines, and all kinds of chemicals in the environment, whatnot. And then even in COVID, this is like my trigger, like being told that like, because I had an infection of something, I still needed mm-hmm. a vaccine for it. I felt insane. I felt so insane today. It still makes me so, my blood boil by people like who know better. This societal complicity, this, this dissonant state, totalitarianism, I guess maybe Red would, would describe it as this is very captured moment. I, I don't think it's understood by us, maybe in the textbooks that we have access to, but I think it's understood by some people because it does feel particularly weaponized. Um, and yeah, people do need to trust. Trust your own instinct. Um, oh, and you know, actually, it's interesting. You helped me just uh, solve something else that I was talking about today, which yeah. is this labor shortage, this mysterious problem of like not enough workers. Yeah. And everyone has these bullshit things. Like, that's another one where people get angry and just like, I don't get what's going on. I'm just asking questions. It's obvious. And none of the answers from unemployment benefits to uh, retirement age, whatever, it, none of it satisfies me. It doesn't really make sense. And it's it's obvious now. It's like this inflationary illusion. There's the problem mm-hmm. isn't it's the problem is there is too much money. It's artificial. We mm-hmm. should be seeing a much mm-hmm. different picture of labor relations. Mm-hmm. It should be much more dire, frankly. I've attributed it to disability personally. I think a lot of it may be driven partly by disability and, and increasing mortality and things like that. But we're not really seeing those, we're not seeing those effects because of it's a, a illusion that we're kind of, not just the numbers, not just the, maybe the, the metrics that they report to us, but literally the money is driving this kind of fantasy world, but it doesn't add up at the end of the day. Why are there so many people with money to spend, but not enough people to actually serve the clients? It's mm-hmm. never happened in the history of economies, mm-hmm. I bet you, anything, um, at least not without this trickery you're describing. But so you, they are during this, I think, essentially try to prolong, to cheat gravity, to go yes. beyond this limit, to push it, become maybe not even just go beyond it, but I think really take down that system, replace that kind of framework, maybe, maybe not the underlying system of, of civilization, but certainly I think reboot like the hard drive in, in some ways with uh, with globalization, with financialization, um, with digitalization and, and AI. I think it's all very significant shifts uh, all at once. A, do you think that's true that they may be having that intent to shatter that system altogether? And I guess B, is that even possible in your opinion? Um. B, it, it is possible. <laughs> A, for question one, uh, yeah. So I'm cautious because I've always been clear to say um, people get quite cross when they see my charts of the 10-year, three-year, and the 10-year, two-year yield. And I always say, you can always beat history. It's always possible, of course, but most likely you won't. So when I look at the the past historical cycles, and not just the global reserve currency cycle, but the cycle of empires, as Ray Dalio and others have covered, we're kind of at a convergence of both the global reserve currency cycle and the cycle of empires. So for myself, it just seems that very likely we are coming to the conclusion, and I believe we are seeing this manifested across the economy, across society. And it perhaps, as some say, it too neatly makes many things all of a sudden make a lot more sense. On the other hand, power always wants to perpetuate itself. 
and we are at a point where there is an incredible wealth disparity. Um, there is an incredible power disparity. And I, I don't believe we believe, I personally don't believe we live in a democracy anywhere. Uh, we live in an autocracy. There is a very small group of people who control so many levers of power and control the literal creation of money itself, which I find to be extremely concerning in the uh, antithesis of any sort of liberal ideology they claim that they are the brave protectors of. I think many people themselves understand this intuitively that the past few years, this deep obsession with protecting democracy and the, the constant drumbeat of we have to protect democracy, we have to protect democracy, um, belies that that's not actually what's occurring, that it's another one of these great deceptions. But on the other hand, which I will admit, you would really truly need a very strong Navy in order to hold the global reserve currency, because even in this fascinating modern era, most trade is still conducted overseas. Um, cargo ships move everything from goods to fuel, which runs economies to all mechanisms of the current global trade order. They're all by sea routes, mostly. And um, of course, there's goods that cross by train. There's jets and cargo jets, but you have to control the seas. I do think China is making incredible strides. They could have the world's dominant Navy. Of course, since the invention of the jet engine, a Navy isn't just a Navy, a Navy is also an Air Force. And they have a relationship with each other because a plane can sink even a large battleship. So you would need a very strong air force and you would need a very strong Navy. I do believe it's possible for another global power to surpass the United States. Um, the United States does have a very large Navy. It does have a large military and with its allies, which have various forms of groups, many people discuss NATO Personally, of course, I'm not saying NATO isn't relevant. I always Five Eyes, which is the more interior mm. alliance. And Five Eyes is the US, the UK, Australia, New Zealand, and Canada. Um, some call it the uh, last vestige of the British Empire. The idea that empires never die, they mutate. So Five Eyes is still quite powerful. And I believe that's why we've seen some of these more unusual moves the past few years. For example, Australia going out of a deal with France, which caused a whole international horror in order to instead get nuclear subs from the US and UK. That's one example of how Five Eyes tends to trump. Besides their own security, um, the Five Eyes will always and the Five Eyes alliances will always trump any other deal these individual states have with others. So I do think what's going to occur is, and what I think is partly currently occurring, is you have Five Eyes versus these other countries coming up. 
And then of course, the other question, which is the new frontier is digital currencies. Um, there is a real move for digital currencies. They have many negatives, but they also have many positives. And it has moved from the realm of speculation to a tangible reality with our current systems. Of course, it would be very energy intensive. And of course, security would be quite tricky, but this isn't even a conspiracy anymore because multiple central banks have announced that they will be releasing um, central bank digital currencies. And the central bank to rule them all, the Bank of International Settlements has stated that they are mm -hmm. extremely interested and encouraging of central bank digital currencies. So we, I agree for people who say, well, even though we're at the confluence of several historical cycles, there are factors that have never been present before during a changeover. You have the factor of possible central bank digital currencies, and you have the possibility of these jets, which when the US basically took over from the British pound and the US Air Force became dominant, that, that was still a nation technology. So it's complicated. At the same time, China is far more advanced in terms of infrastructure in terms of digital infrastructure and in terms of digital currency digital currency infrastructure than the united states that's another huge advantage that they have so some say maybe they don't necessarily have the navy and the air force yet but they are building every day but they do have the digital currency infrastructure and they have over a billion people and they have an almost infinite supply of labor and products that they're willing to sell so as more and more countries move to denominating trades in a chinese digital currency you could just simply have the natural forces of the market take over so i don't want to give a non-answer that might start to sound like a non-answer but it's one of those things where i'll admit it's possible this may not occur but According to history, it is very possible we're starting to see a changeover. And I suspect that's why we've had this push towards this idea of maybe the next digital currency won't be the product of a nation state, which sounds to me complicated, but I suppose could happen. And of course, that would the US, its allies, um, the Five Eyes Alliance would probably prefer to have a, if it's not going to be them holding the the world reserve currency, they would most likely want some sort of international currency, which they themselves could control. So I suppose we'll all find out in the next five or six years what our fate is. Singer. <laughs> Who knows? I think the BIS put out. Uh, I posted an article, I believe, today about um, kind of their their report, their review on how things are going with the whole CBDC thing. Um, and I think CBDC is it, it, 
not honestly that different from almost Bitcoin. So I don't want to say CBDCs themselves are bad, all bad. I think they're actually very mm-hmm. interesting. The ones, central bank part of it, the ones these people are proposing certainly yes. are not uh, good for us. I think multiple currencies uh, sounds interesting. And I don't mean like a, a brick situation, but like multiple competing markets, mm-hmm. which you're right, does sound challenging in the waterways. But I, I don't know, you're talking about these convergences of cycles. And I think, I believe there's a even bigger cycle above that is converging, kind of a switch, a cosmic maybe cycle, which is converging or or on these other ones as well. And I think, and I don't know, I think it's a shift from like a water age to a air age. And, we're, and you said that as I was thinking that you're describing the advance of the air forces. And I think, and we see it in technology too, with wireless um, communication, with, with satellites, things open up maybe. So maybe there is more room for competing networks. It's a bit, maybe, maybe a little weird or esoteric. But I do think that there is these changes. And I think you're right, the system, not the foundation of it. I know, there's it's kind of, there's something, right? There's something to civilization. There's something to statecraft, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it. The, the em- in- enforcement of our shared hallucination that mm-hmm. I don't know that we can fully understand necessarily ever, but the maybe next layer down from that, maybe it's a little bit up for grabs. Maybe it's maybe possibly can change. Some of those rules can change. And I think these people are trying to bring the end of this one as fast as they can, because I think that's their best opportunity. And, and you said we will get our fate in a few years. It's funny, like this AI, the um, all of it, the AI, the CBC, everything's being accelerated faster and mm, faster. Okay. To me, indicating a desperation, honestly. This is, Agenda 2030 was not supposed to be before the next election. And that's what it's starting to feel like. They're trying mm-hmm. to get it out before 2024. Mm-hmm. And I think the more people that can be broken from this spell, like in this hypnotic uh, dissonant state, the better. And it's, we're all doing it in our different ways. I think we're, we're trying our best, right? It, it really is an information war. And I think you're doing it, Teddy. Like I'm trying it in my, in, in my weird way of being an internet menace who's right all of the time, by the way, even when I'm, even when I'm doing a bit, it's still true. This is the thing. It's the important, uh, the important thing is like, we have a real chance. I think it like, reaching people because there's many different ways that we uh different strategies i guess different styles and you have to appeal to many different types of people because not everyone's going to be for everybody and this is like literally a a wake up as many people type of situation plant the seed it's not even like you have to tell them like every single thing that we like discussed here it's it's about getting people to be conscious of this uh to a degree so that they can kind of educate themselves honestly I, i don't think you can really teach anybody any of any of this kind of stuff or to think this way you have to kind of you can maybe help but you can't really do it for them right and so i think doing this uh, and and believing that you said they they think that they can just like change the laws of physics they will it will you will will it to be and i really do think that maybe they can defeat the reality and make it the way they want to they they seem they have the tools to do it with a, a lot of this technology to really reshape reality completely but i think we also have a chance to like make it the way we want to envision it too and i, I just uh yeah i don't think people should be too scared that too many crazy things, including me just talking to you now, Daddy. Like too many crazy things that happened in just the last couple of years that make me feel like no, we cannot uh, be discouraged. It's not going to be easy to, as you said, to go against these narratives. It is often an unpersoning event in polite society, but I think we have to continue, and it becomes easier the more people that have uh, joined us, you know. And it's it, it's it's happening. People are ready for it. They don't 
they don't want to be in the state they're in. Most of them do not want to be in this dissonant state. They want out, but it's just the trick of like cracking that egg. I think it's important to always be hopeful because there's no point. I wouldn't do this if I wasn't. People claim I'm, I'm like, no, I'm so optimistic. I wouldn't do any of this if I wasn't an ultimately extremely hopeful person who believed in people and the good of humankind. Mm, like it, likewise. You don't need to be hopeful because I actually don't have hope. I have faith, honestly, tr- I truly. And it becomes more and more true. Like, I truly think that uh, we're going to win. I think, actually, in many ways, I think we already did win. And what we're seeing play out <laughs> from rate limits on Twitter, whatever's going on there, to the horrific uh, whatever's happening in Ukraine. There's so many things that seem insane, but I think they're the flame outs of something that maybe, who knows, could already be resolved. We look pretty far downstream here in our reality. I think there's a lot going on upstream that, uh, in that river that we don't <laughs> that we don't know about, Betty. So who knows? I, I think it's good to have faith. Team Backlash, Team Betty, Team Klaus, we've all already won. We're sailing our way to victory. Flying. We're flying our way to victory. Oh my goodness. I like sailing. I wanna I wanna go in the open ocean and sail my way to a peaceful freedom. We'll sail to, if I think what happens is you like sail far enough on the ocean and then you are in the sky. It's not flat earth per se. It's more of like, it, it's cone shaped, but we can, we can get to that another time. <laughs> it's been wonderful, first of all, to have you here again, to share a, a state with you. Each time we'll get closer and closer in proximity. Um, Daddy, where can people find you uh, on Twitter and elsewhere? Um, pretty much at Daddy. Um, it's Audette's the handle. That's the one place to find me now. I have my grand ideas of a summer project, but um, I haven't even had a day of free time this summer yet, so. You have been busy. Did you do your race? Um, Did that take place already? Yes. Oh my goodness. Congratulations. uh, This past weekend, oh, I think it was last place, but it was very fun. Um, Real racers came and they were so fast. It was terrifying. I was also cracking up because you're, uh, the, the race path was just straight towards the radar station, which for those who aren't <laughs> aware, it's uh, in a place called Camp Hero, which was the inspiration for Stranger Things. And the race path was yeah, straight at the radar station and did a little loop and came back. And I was thinking, what do people, what do normal people think of a crazy, weird little town? And then this past weekend, I uh, had many, many, many hours at the craft fair, um, raising funds to um, restore historical house, along with many other adventures, but it's good. I have a dangerous level of um, vitamin D now. I'm, my skin is practically glowing with um, aliveness, which is Perfect. very disconcerting for everyone around me. No, it's good. You've got those cosmic light beam particles. They've come for you. You've absorbed them. That was the most Roy Gilmore weekend also, by the way. I just like I'm saving this, which I love. I was like, oh, I was very involved in the historical society in my hometown. Like, it's kind of ridiculous. So I, I get it. You've got to save those old houses. Um, exactly. you have a cur- was it like a Frank Lloyd Wright? Was there Courier and Knives wallpaper or anything? Like, um, no, in this, you don't have to dox the house if, it's, uh, <laughs> if you don't want oh, to. It's actually called a uh, second house and it was considered one of like the second actual houses built. Um, I don't know if people who are unfamiliar with the East End, but actually all of this was cattle grazing land and some of the earliest cattle ranches in the United States were actually out on, on Long Island. And um, many of the, the roads that are wide out here because they were meant to be for the cattle drives. And I'm very lucky to know 
an elderly gentleman who um, actually participated in one of the last cattle drives out on the East End on his oh. little horse with his friends. And it's just, it's fascinating because, you know, we do all of these things. Then you speak to someone from another generation. In a way, it's comforting to know you're so little and the cycle of everything is so much greater than you. But I love just speaking to these people who have these memories and experiences that almost seem completely foreign to me and it's comforting to me in many ways mm, it's, it's beautiful you talk to strangers everybody talk to other generations uh plus one i 100 percent um and then it's funny because talking to old people sometimes yeah it's actually we it's very comfortable right now everybody like even with like a global genocide run by out of control military dictators or whatever <laughs> at the behest of who knows what demonic forces you know it's still very entertaining it's funny like we have like donald trump we have like cell phones it, it could be a lot worse but, i mean have you read grapes of wrath it got pretty desperate i just want to call everyone's attention um oh my gosh daddy i could talk forever of course always um i guess final thoughts for the audience oh my goodness i would say final thoughts are don't trust me don't trust pool house. Trust yourself and your instincts first. Once you learn to reconnect with that, many things will become significantly more clear and to feel a certain level of calmness about everything, which is extremely beneficial to you as a person, which is why, personally, I believe we are encouraged to not feel that. Once you are able to determine your inner path and your inner truth, follow that don't let yourself get turned off the path that's where you should go and be open-minded to where it takes you and be open to the experiences of others it doesn't mean you have to agree with them it doesn't mean you're endorsing it just because you speak with someone but if you're willing to have an open and honest conversation with another person whether it's a different a person with a different belief system or a person from a different generation you're going to become a more complete person because of that, because you're exposed to a viewpoint which perhaps you just didn't have the capability to have before. You don't have to absorb the entire viewpoint, but I think it's always important and helpful to put yourself in other people's shoes because it makes you a more empathetic person and it also helps you become a more creative thinker and it helps you understand the world better. You are a gift, Daddy. That was moving. I was like genuinely touched by that one asterisk, I will say. As you become aware and trusting of your own internal discernment, you will realize quickly that you can trust Pool House. Always. You can believe in me. I'm <laughs> always right. As is Daddy. It will come to you very quickly. But you know, don't do it just because I said so. Do it when it comes to you naturally, which it will for sure the way oh gosh. the universe leads to pool house <laughs> by way of daddy or vice versa you know it's all it's all symbiosis at the end of the there day there's no good there is no evil there's pool house pool house and it's you know what and it's it is it's a web of destiny it's uh it's me it's you daddy it's the the audience here we're all we are all connected and um i couldn't be more pleased to share the web of destiny <laughs> with all of you